Talk to us about the reception to your first book first. Do you see this new one as a continuation or an evolution of the same conversation? Oh, that's a really good question. It's good. We haven't been asked that. We thought that we'd been asked everything. (laughs) Oh, look at us. Look at us. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually, you know, thinking on the spot here and Joe might actually even have a different answer, but I would say evolution. Boom. That's what I was going to say. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the newest episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Our guests today are a writing duo whose first book, We Are Not Like Them, was so powerful, it became a Good Morning America book club pick, as well as a Harper's Bazaar best book pick. We had them on already, but we really wanted to invite them back to talk about their newest collaboration, You Were Always Mine. I am Ron Block. And I'm Meg Walker. Not only are Christine Pride and Joe Piazza celebrated creators in their own right, but together have really proven the power of collaboration can produce empathetic, riveting, and authentic work, according to New York Times bestselling author Laura Dave. Their individual accomplishments are many and have provided the skills to create a powerful writing team. Once again, Christine and Joe, welcome to the podcast. So let's dive right in and and have you guys tell us about You're Always Mine. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Hello. Thrilled to have you here. I just, I just switched to my podcast voice, if you can. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't have to, so you guys will have to bear with me. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. You got, you, you're, you're getting Christine and I right off of our book tour. We've been doing book events nonstop for about the past what, eight or nine, 10 days. What is time? So yeah. we should, we should have our elevator pitch for you were always mine down pat right now. Right, Christine? We should. <laughs> let's, see if we do. <laughs> let's, let's test it. Let's see if we do. I'm trying to think which one of us to last. Ah, right, I'll go. I'll go. So <laughs> much like We Are Not Like Them, which was our first collaboration together, we again wanted to explore race in intimate relationships. And We Are Not Like Them did that in a friendship. And You Are Always Mine does that in terms of motherhood and also mm-hmm. friendship. I mean, we, you know, friendship is a really important part of both of our lives and a major theme in, in both of the books. And so You Are Always Mine is about a Black woman named Cinnamon. This is really Cinnamon's story, who finds an abandoned white baby and takes her in and cares for her. And we follow her decision about what to do, whether she should foster her. And simultaneously, we hear the story of the birth mother, who is a 19-year-old girl named Daisy, who found herself in a very desperate situation and made an incredibly desperate choice to leave her baby behind. 
And Joe and I just love these stories where, you know, you can just put yourself in the heroine or narrator's mindset and choose and say, oh my God, you know, what would I do, right? What would I do if my friendship was upended in this way in the case of the first book? And here, you know, what would I do if I found an abandoned baby? I mean, everybody can kind of think through and game out that scenario. And the extra layer here is that, you know, we've, we've added a racial component to it in terms of a black woman finding a white baby. It's a very different set of circumstances than a white woman finding a black or brown baby, right? Even though it's a simple switch of merely just skin tone and yet it changes everything about the scenario. Definitely. Yeah. And it totally backs up into history of race and history of, of, of how people look at each other and the world. And it's just uh, so fascinating. But talk to us about the reception to your first book first. Do you see this new one as a continuation or an evolution of the same conversation? Oh, that's a really good question. It's good. We haven't been asked that. We thought that we'd been asked oh. everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at us. Look at us. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I'm actually, you know, thinking on the spot here and Joe might actually you don't even have a different answer, but I would say evolution. Boom. Is- That's what I was going to say. But especially because we actually thought of these two books, the premise of these two books at the same time, we had sold them in a two book deal. So we knew we were going to write this particular story back in 2018. And so in a way we envision them as being complements to each other and both, you know, having similar overall themes, broad themes that people could continue to dig into and talk about, but from a slightly different vantage point, meaning, you know, different characters, different circumstances, but we feel like they're complementary in a way, even though they are very different stories. There's a fun Easter egg between the two books that, that readers will discover, but otherwise, you know, they, they are completely different stories that we hope drive similar conversations. I love that. Very well, well put. Yes, definitely. I mean, it seems to me you've, you've carved out a bit of a niche with these, with these novels. Mm-hmm. And you guys definitely open up a dialogue about a sensitive topic, but then wrap it in an engrossing story. So how is your perspective and, and what you hope your readers take away evolve book to book? And, and did you learn anything from your first go around that impacted how you approached this one? We learned everything from the first go round that impacted this one. When we first started writing a book together, even though Christine had been my editor before we became co-authors, she edited my last novel, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win. And I think because of that, we thought writing together would be a lot easier, but it's not. Writing with another person is hard, and we had to work out all those kinks and figure out our process and how to communicate. So we did that, and we are not like them. And I think you were always mine. The writing process was a lot easier because of that. But then in terms stylistically, there were other things that we learned from we are not like them. We really... We never want to paint anything in terms of this pun is so bad in terms of black and white. Like every everything is in, in shades of shades of gray, and we don't want any of our characters, main characters or supporting characters, to come across as caricatures because we are writing about race and we are writing about sensitive issues, and we think it's very easy to lean in to caricatures and stereotypes. And we made a point to not do that in We Are Not Like Them. And that carried over a lot into You Were Always Mine. 
That's definitely. Awesome. And I think, you know, what's been interesting is the, the, we had no expectations, I suppose you might say for our first collaboration together in terms of putting it out into the world. I mean, it's a little bit like that with every book. I mean, even mm-hmm. behind the scenes as an editor, you're doing all the work and you're trying to set things up and you're, you know, the publicity and marketing teams are working so hard, et cetera, et cetera. And yet you actually really have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, there's an illusion of control, but otherwise, yeah. you know, it's just send the car off the cliff and, you know, we'll see. And so that was both nerve wracking and exciting for our first book. And then, you know, it was so wildly successful and we feel really grateful about that because, you know, it's really hard to publish a book. And so I think for this book, you know, going our second rodeo, there were expectations, right? That is a different kind of ball game. And people really loved the first book, and, you know, I think I will speak for both of us, but I'll speak for myself since this is really personal. I think it's a, it's a lot of, you know, I hope they love the second book as much, right? right. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think as a writer, just every time you write a book or create something, there's that same pressure. And so that is an evolution book to book, right? How can we bring our, our readers and fans along and keep them surprised and engaged, right, with each set of characters and, and, and stories. And we care very much about doing that. And so there's, you know, some pressure there. Of course. Yeah. That's definitely. So you've talked about co-writing and how that's done it. Mm-hmm. Has the co-writing affected your friendship at all? And I'm, you were saying beforehand how you kind of melded into one mind, but <laughs> does it change your process about who writes what too? Yeah. Well, Christine, before you got on, I was like, it's okay. It's, it's, it's very early in LA. If she can't make it, we share a brain. So <laughs> I <can> just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think when we were working on, we are not like them and things got difficult. We had to continue because in a way we were work married. We had a contract, we had a book that we had to finish. And so we pushed through in a way that if you were just two friends with a wild idea to start a project together, but no consequences, we might not have had to. And because we did that, because we had a lot of deep conversations and hard times, I think our friendship is better and deeper now than it was before. We don't live in the same city. We don't get to see each other that often, but we just got off a very long Um, to her together. And, and it was just so wonderful to get to be together in person. And we did such fun things and we did like normal things like have coffee and meals together. But I also made Christine ride a roller coaster in Santa Monica. (laughs) Woohoo. Just a little events, you know, that as you do, like just hop on a coaster. (laughs) And, and she made me do a shot in New York, which was (laughs) unpleasant, but in the end, kind of fun. So I think that our friendship is better and stronger. And also because we create something together, which is awesome. And you don't do that with all of your friends. So this is really something very different than a lot of my other friendships. Yeah. It's such a unique relationship. And, you know, I feel lucky that we get to do this because, you know, how often do you get to have a close friend and a partnership and, you know, as Joe said, create something. There's not a lot of other parallels. There's not a lot of other relationships like ours out there. And so the beauty of that is we get to create the relationship 
we want to have, right? And there's no conventions around it like there are around, you know, more traditional friendships or marriages or what have you. Like, this is what you do. This is what you don't do. And so I think some of the early friction that we had in our relationship was figuring out what those boundaries were, right? And, And I'm sure spouses who our spouses and also work together, face this too. Like where are the lines and when are we not talking about work and just talking about friendship and vice versa. And Mm -hmm. so all of that is a really, you know, dynamic process for us to just like keep figuring out, but it's fun when we can switch back and forth between, okay, now we're in work mode and now we're doing shots, for example. (laughs) (laughs) well has the friendship changed how you approach the writing because we know we talked to you before about how who writes what character and things but has that changed at all well i found it fascinating last time you talked about like people's expectations are that joe since you're white that you write the white lady and christine writes the black lady and and that's not at all the way you approach the story so right yeah, I'd love for you to talk a little about that. And there's still those expectations. That's yeah. the thing. We went when we went on this tour, and we were being interviewed. People still assumed with this book, you were always mine. That Christine wrote Cinnamon, our black character, and I exclusively wrote Daisy, our white character. And I know we said this before, but we think that assumption is so interesting because it just tells us the ideas that we all have about how you know, race really is the one consuming thing in a character. And it is, it's such a huge part of a character and such a huge part of their life. But we told you this before too, these characters are so many other things. They're Mm -hmm. mothers and sisters and daughters and girlfriends and coworkers. And we can both talk about those. We'd be doing our character a disservice if we didn't each contribute to them. And I think it's a really interesting part of the conversation that's ongoing in publishing and ongoing for writers, which is, you know, who's allowed to tell what story. And so I think when people make that assumptions for us, it's like, well, Joe could never write a black woman. You know, that's not Mm -hmm. cool or okay or right or any Mm -hmm. of the words, right? And vice versa. And so, you know, we turn that on its head. And so I think a lot of people then if not bristle about it, you know, wonder then how does it work? And then, then what stories am I allowed to tell? Right. Can, you know, I'm such and such identity. Can I tell, can I write a character of, you know, such and such identity? And I think that that's important conversation in publishing and, and for writers to really uh, think about. And so we're, we're, we're happy that they can do so by thinking about how we collaborate and how we tell stories. Well, I think it's cool. Like your very process is the thing that you hope, readers do when Uh they read your book and interact with your story is that you don't just see it on like, you know, in such stark terms, like it's just melded, which I think is great. Anyway, let's talk about some of the themes in the book. So race is obviously a a theme in this book as it was in the first book. And the feeling that Cinnamon's husband, Jason articulates about people seeing him, a black man out and about with a blue eyed white baby and assuming he had he had committed a crime or something is honestly something I'd never thought about before reading the book. So it's so common to see white parents raising black children, but the reverse does seem quite rare, which again, I hadn't, I hadn't quite thought about it in those terms. So can you guys talk about what prompted you to, to dissect this in, in your book? Well, I think exactly as you said, because it's exceedingly rare. I mean, it truly is 
really rare. And in fact, I did a, I write a column called race matters for cup of Joe. And I recently did a piece that interviewed uh, a real life cinnamon, so to speak of a black woman in North Carolina. She and her husband are black and, and are raising lots of foster children, but including um, a white child that they adopted uh, through foster care. And in talking to her and thinking about her network of, you know, who's out there like you, she, which all, you know, you want strength in community, right. To figure out like whose, whose families are similar. And she had done a lot of extensive research and I had done a lot of extensive research to try to find people to talk to. And there really are, you know, a, a negligible amount of, of black people raising, I won't say caring for, right. Because we see that a lot, but raising, um, or fostering white children. And so you have to ask yourself why that is, but when you see that and in talking to her, it is very, very different. And there is such a level of danger involved in terms of, she is constantly getting policed and surveyed and and patrolled, I mean, quite literally by people who are saying, why do you have this child? I mean, the police have been called on her multiple times by strangers wow. saying, you know, who, who is this baby to you and why, you know, why do you have this baby? And so that is that scene, you know, is is very real and a very real consideration that other parents do not have to worry about and particularly other foster parents who are doing a good deed, right? Like we celebrate foster parents for all the sacrifices that they've made. And yet, you know, this is a real extra layer of, of scrutiny and danger that, that, you know, is not fair, frankly. Right. But you know, that, that they have to deal with on top of being a mother and parents. Yeah. Wow. Love it too. I mean, you do a great job with it in the novel for sure. Well, we wanted people to know about that, right? To walk in the shoes, right? So when I tell the stories, right, or people are people, as you said, Meg, and you know, just like I, I, I never thought of it that way. I never considered mm-hmm. this angle. I never considered what this experience might be like. And so that's what we want to do in our books. Have people say, "Wow, right? Oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way." And that yeah. that is a great, you know, gift to be able to, to, to do that. And, and also to touch the people who have experienced the things that we're writing about at every event that we were at last week, we had someone come up and say, part of this was my life. Uh, whether that be a foster mother, uh, a foster child, or at the last event in LA, we had this one man who said, I cried so much at the prologue. And that's all he said during the event. And then when he came up for us to sign his book, he said, I was an abandoned child. Wow. That's when you know you've really hit the reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, and also it. that we were we captured the experience authentically, right? I mean, we yeah. write about so yeah. many different kinds of experiences and situations that uh, you know that that's a nerve wracking proposition. We always want to get it right, right, and we don't want to sensationalize things or you know make them extreme one way or another or be disrespectful to an experience that we may or may not have had right and so it just really means a lot to us when people can say i felt seen in the pages of the story that's great so in addition to race motherhood is a main theme as you mentioned earlier in the book but the two of you have chosen very different motherhood paths yourselves how did your personal experiences with motherhood affect the crafting of the book 
Hugely. I mean, much like how in We Are Not Like Them, we were able to bring very different perspectives as a white woman and a black woman to the table. With this, we were able to bring our different perspectives as Christine is a woman who is child-free by choice. And I have been breeding for the past six years, pretty much nonstop. <laughs> um, I... We were able to bring both of those experiences to the table and examine motherhood from a lot of different perspectives that we mm-hmm. don't think we typically see, especially in commercial fiction and fiction. Generally, we don't often see the woman who's ambivalent about having children or the mother who is incredibly desperate and has to make a desperate decision about what to do in the best interest of their baby. We too often see very privileged motherhood and that is not the case for 95% of mothers in the world. Hmm. True. Yeah. And it's definitely, I mean, it's also, there's a race element too here that it's just, you know, it's different, frankly, being a black mother and a white mother, right? There are different parenting considerations and challenges. And so we wanted to dip into that as well. Like both of these women have to make decisions or at least interrogate their decisions or explore them in the context of their identities, right? Their identities as even ages, right? Like it's very different to be pregnant at 19 than, you know, pregnant or thinking about having a baby in your 30s. Um, It's very different to be pregnant if you have resources and a partner than if you don't, right? And so we wanted to kind of delve into all these different um, scenarios to show again, the complexities around all of these decisions and so much of motherhood is really reduced to a binary. Like, are you going to have a baby or not? Are you a good mother or not? And those pretty much are the only considerations, even though there's obviously so much more to it. Right. I mean, I love how you touch on questions of like, not just when to be a mom, if to be a mom, how, how to be a mom and even whether to become a mother. You know, I feel, it feels kind of brave to me to recognize that you don't want to be a mom and then sticking to those guns because there's such societal and familial expectations, right. And pressures like it's just expected that of course you want to have a baby, right. Of course you want to be a mom and knowing that you don't and being true to that choice, I think is so Powerful. And I don't think it's something you see covered in in fiction often at all. So kudos to you guys for touching on that. So what do you hope that your readers take from that sort of perspective and that discussion? Well, we're really hoping that readers just examine their beliefs around motherhood and go, is motherhood a privilege? Is it a right? Who do they believe deserves, quote unquote, to be a mother? You know, one of the really interesting things that we're seeing is with We Are Not Like Them, because it was about race and because it involved a police shooting, we prepared for an onslaught of judgment and possibly attacks because it was such a hot button issue. And to be honest, we didn't get what we were preparing for. And with this one, we did not uh, prepare as much because we're like, this is so different. This is a heartwarming story about a woman finding an abandoned baby. And we really should have prepared better because if anyone (laughs) has judgment (laughs) and thoughts about anything in the world, it is about mothers and babies and everything that comes with that. So 
there have been a lot more thoughts when it comes to what our characters, Cinnamon and Daisy, do and how they relate to this child than there were for We Are Not Like Them, which I think is incredibly interesting, the very visceral reactions people have. And so when people have those reactions, we know they are, we just want them to sit with them and feel them and interrogate them a little bit. What about this makes you uncomfortable? Why are you uncomfortable with Cinnamon's actions? Would you have been uncomfortable with her actions if she were a white woman with a white baby? And that's a question that we really want to put out there because we're seeing a lot of people saying, oh, Cinnamon shouldn't have done this with the baby. Everything Cinnamon did was illegal. How dare she? And yet I really think that just the fact that we changed her race makes people view her very differently. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. It's so interesting because we want people to, I mean, it's, you know, human nature to be judgmental. Right. And I know certainly when I read stories, I judge characters like, Oh, they shouldn't have done that. Or they should have done this, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's also part of the reading experience, right. To, To think about that. And so we want, obviously people to, to think about our characters' choices and actions, but not to really think about if they're applying those, those same levels of judgments in terms of like social issues, right? Like these are still characters. And I think it's a really interesting moralizing line, right? Of, of, um, you know, these people do this or these people shouldn't do that, you know, versus our characters being stand-ins. And I also think there's, there's a real fine line between empathizing and judging. And so we hope that the way that we present our story, it's that you're tipping over from I'm judging this person and their choices to I'm empathizing with these this person and their choices yeah. in both the cases for Cinnamon and Daisy and that kind of level of empathy of I under even if I don't agree with what they did I understand why they did it and then that can make me understand other people in the world a little bit better and as lofty as that is we do think it works right it shakes people loose to to think that way and we've seen that bear out with with our first book we are not like them so we're hoping it's the case here too in terms of what readers are able to take away. If the world needs yeah. more of one thing, it's definitely empathy. So, yeah. Oh, um, amen. <laughs> yeah, amen. This made me think of, I think, the LA Times feature on you guys, didn't it? Wasn't the subhead something like, these writers explore shades of gray or something? I, I think like, it was, yeah. yeah. Christine was nice enough to get, get me a copy of that in LA, and she left it for me in my LA hotel room. So I packed it in my bag, and my kids unpacked it this morning. And I was like, isn't that cool? And they're like, eh. Did you get us Mad Lips? <laughs> Where's my snow globe? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. So, well, speaking of social issues and judgment, yeah. you wrote, you were always mine before Roe v. Wade was overturned. Did yeah. that impact how you saw the book you were about to publish? And did you actually go back and change anything in the book after the decision came down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we keep saying, we're like, are we psychic? It's really <laughs> weird. It is really it's weird. weird. I mean, we're because... shooting before George Floyd was murdered and that became right. you know, such a flashpoint. And then we wrote a book about foster care and motherhood and then Roe v. Wade was overturned. I mean, it's a little bit eerie. 
Yeah, I should really buy more lottery tickets. But I was going to say, can you guys give me some numbers? Because you- <laughs> 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 no, right. your, your next book should be about me winning the lottery. That way, yeah. <laughs> manifest itself. Done, done. It made us talk about the book differently with each other, but we didn't change anything. The book was finished at that point, right, Christine? I don't think. I don't think we actually changed anything big in there. No, we didn't. I think we just felt like it was, I mean, the one thing that Joe and I are a little bit woo-woo about is, you know, right book at the right time. And so Mm -hmm. I do think that it made us feel like the conversations around the book were going to be a little different and maybe even a little more urgent um, because it's dealing with, you know, I mean, quite fundamentally a woman's right to choose choose dot, 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 meaning choose to have a baby or not, but choose to raise a baby or not, choose to foster a baby or not, choose to, you know, I mean, there are a lot of choices to be made in this book um, around motherhood. And and again, it comes down to this binary that I think even the Roe v. Wade being overturned um, further reduced it to, which is like, are you going to have a baby or not? You know, can, can you have an abortion or not? But this decision is made in a whole nexus of other factors, social factors, right? Do we have a social safety net? Do we have safe care for children? Like if you're going to choose to have a baby, can people get well-paying jobs? I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's so many other uh, layers and complexities to this. Um, And so whether you have experienced needing or having to make a choice, you know, to have a baby or not uh, in your own life, we're hoping that, uh, the characters help you understand the complexities around this choice a little bit more. And that serves to be part of this conversation that we're having about abortion rights. Love it. Well, Christine, you've, you've talked in interviews that I've read about the fact that your parents were foster parents. Yes. So how did your own personal experience with seeing this up close and personal in your own life affect the telling of Daisy's and cinnamon stories. Yeah, you know, that's partly what inspired, you know, this this story in the beginning because I mean it's sort of like write what you know, right? But I think yeah. when you haven't been around foster care, exposed to foster care, it's a whole other world that right that people, you know, really don't know about. And my parents decided to be foster parents when I was 14 and I have two older biological siblings that were already in college and out of the house at that point. And, you know, I mean much like having a biological child, you're family configuration has changed instantly, right? And especially in the emergency foster care, which my parents did, you know, a baby shows up at midnight, you know, completely unexpectedly. So my family was really changed overnight, but I got to see, you know, foster care like anything else is a really beautiful, complicated, challenging, you know, situation. And, you know, being a firsthand witness to it really hit home for me all the different ways that people become families and all the different ways that bonds are are built and all the different ways, frankly, families are fractured, right? I mean, there's there's that too. And it's all a part of, of a big story about, you know, making connections and how we so often think of family as a very specific nuclear uh, 
you mm-hmm. know, two parents, 3.5 kids, bio, you know, biologically born. And that is such a narrow view of, of what a family is. And yet it is a pervasive view of what a family is. And anytime you're outside of those conventions, divorce, single mom, foster parent, foster kid, whatever it is, then you feel outside of those conventions. And so we wanted to show different kinds of families in our story. Well, certainly true for the baby in the story. Like the family she ends up with in the end, you start not to give too much away, but what a lucky baby. I mean, it's hard to think of a baby that's left behind a park bench in a park as lucky, but in the end, I think that's what she was, you know? Well, I think it's yeah. also this question of a good mother is Daisy, is Daisy who, you know, is a de- in a desperate situation and makes a desperate choice. Is that, is she being a bad, you know, I'm being reductive here and I'm using all the air quotes that you can't right. see on a podcast, yeah. but you know, is she, is she being a bad mother and making a bad choice for a baby or is she actually being a good mother and making a good choice for her baby to set her up for the the future. And that's something that your readers can, can discuss and debate. Totally. That's true. It's a great exploration of what we think of as good and bad mothers. For sure. Okay. Gosh, we could do this all day, sure um, but I want to get could. in. I know we have to meet up somewhere like in Kansas or I don't know, somewhere and we'll just continue <laughs> this middle. for a yeah. weekend. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle, but I don't want to let you go without kind of finding out from each of you, what our readers and listeners can expect next from you. Yeah, well, we're working on another book together called I Never Knew You at All. And yeah, we're about 100 pages into it. And I did the elevator pitch last time. So, Christine, it's your turn. (laughs) (laughs) We keep joking that, you know, we're just Joe and I in a Google Doc and haven't really talked about this new book publicly yet. And Mm -hmm. so it's each time we do, it's, it's both exciting, but we're like, we're putting our little, you know, our baby out in the world. It's becoming real when we talk about it, Mm -hmm. but it is about a interracial, a marriage this time we've done a friendship and we've done motherhood. And now this story is about a black woman who is married to a white man. And this, his name is Alex. And he was raised by his grandfather who's wealthy and is running a chain of grocery stores, which uh, Alex stands to inherit. But as the novel opens, we learn that this grandfather may or may not have been involved, implicated in a racial crime in the past when he was a teenager. Um, And this information comes to light in a complicated way through Simone's ex-boyfriend, who is a journalist investigating this old story for his podcast. And so there's a lot of layers to, uh, you know, both the secret or, you know, what happened really emerging, but also the effect that this information has and what it raises, the questions it raises in this marriage, which are not even just, will this marriage survive this, you know, kind of bombshell or not, but also what is forgivable and, you know, is how far is in the past is the past, right? And what are we responsible for uh, in our youth? And how well do you know people uh, is a big one. So we're we're excited to dig into all of those themes. Love that. I'm I'm so glad to hear you guys are writing another book together because I I know you said in the start you had a two book contract and 
There's been two. So it's nice to hear that you're continuing with this. (laughs) We've renewed our vows with each other. And we've also renewed our vows with our our publisher. uh, They're such a great publisher. We always like to, to shout them out because, you know, we're, we're, we're two people and, you know, but it takes a village to, to, to get a book Mm -hmm. out there. The writers on this, this podcast know. And so we just really appreciate our village behind us. Absolutely. Well, thanks for so much for joining us, you guys today. We, this conversation has been great. And like Ron said, we could go on for hours, but before we let you go, will you tell our Mm -hmm. listeners where they might find you either in person? If you have more events coming up, I know you said you had some tour stops, and where they can find you online. Yeah, absolutely. We're both, uh, the best place to find all of the book tour stuff is on Instagram. So I'm at Joe Piazza author and Christine is at C pride. At C pride at C pride. And <laughs> I also have a new sub stack, which is very fun. And I'm experimenting oh. with called, called over the influence, which I've really enjoyed Substack. I, I don't like social media generally. And Substack has felt like a great community. So I'm very into that right now. That's great. So that's like a newsletter subscription model, right? It's a newsletter subscription model. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What a cool name. I was just going to say, we're so excited to share our social media and for people to reach out to us. I mean, we really, this is what's been so great about being on tour the last 10 days is, is getting to meet people. And we feel like books are about fostering connections. And so getting to talk to readers mm-hmm. in real life has been amazing. We weren't able to do that as much for our first book because of, of COVID, if we all remember that. Oh, a little bit. <laughs> Remember that thing? Um, but it is nice to engage with people. And so, you know, we are happy to have DMs and messages and comments and share book ideas and recommendations. And, you know, we just, we want our books to help be part of a, a literary community that we're building. And so please, you know, people do reach out to us. We love it. Awesome. Incoming. I hear your inbox dinging, dinging, dinging. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Here We're it comes. Here for it. We love it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Thank you both so much. This has been terrific. Oh, we love thank talking you for having us. We love it. And a huge thank you to you, our amazing listeners. We are so glad that you chose to join us for this important episode. You can purchase a copy of You Were Always Mine and help indie bookstores at our Friends in Fiction bookshop.org page. Also, If you want to listen to our past interview with our guests today and any of our other past episodes, just visit our website, friendsinfiction.com. Click on our podcast page and select Listen Now. You'll have access to all of our past episodes. We hope you will tune in again next week and please tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live Friends in Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here.